0: Acts chapter 4, please. In the previous chapter, Peter and John, through the power of God and faith in Christ, healed a crippled man who was daily at the beautiful gate to beg for money. Upon being healed, this man who had never walked a day in his life, leaps up and he goes walking and leaping and praising God. And it caused such a scene at the temple that everyone started to press against this event gathering at Solomon's porch, as it was called, to see what was going on. Peter takes advantage of that situation, and he preaches Christ to the crowd. But remember here in the beginning of chapter 4, the priests, the captain of the temple, the Sadducees, they come running in. They're grieved because they're teaching the resurrection of the dead through Jesus. They forcefully interrupt the church service, if you will, And they arrest Peter and John. They let them sit overnight in jail because as this is occurring, it's already eventide. But while they were bound, the Word of God is not. While they were in jail, many were being converted. On the next day, they're brought before the council. I spent a lot of time establishing who the council is to give us maybe a better idea of The seriousness of this chapter, this is the same outfit who plotted to destroy Jesus. They are the ones who arranged for His betrayal and arrest. They're the ones who conducted that so-called trial. They were hitting Him in the face. They delivered Him to Pilate. They provoked the crowd to cry out, crucify Him, give us Barabbas. And they're the ones who mocked Him while He was on the cross. And Jesus warned them these days were coming. And He let them know that they would be beaten, scourged, persecuted, locked away in prison, and even killed for their faith. So as Peter and John here are standing before the council, they know they might just be killed for how they respond. We're only about two months away from Calvary. This is still very fresh. It's still very uh, big news in town. I mean, this this is really taking their lives in their own hands, so to speak. The council asked Peter and John, by what power or by what name have you done this? And knowing all that could happen to them, that they could even be killed. They stand up to the council. Peter is full of the Holy Ghost and in boldness. He responds to these religious elites in Judea. These were the wealthiest. These were the most respected and influential. They were well-educated, powerful men. And an uneducated Galilean fisherman takes them to school. And he makes it as plain as can be because he is under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. In verse 12, he makes it absolutely plain. Jesus is the only way to salvation. He lets the Sadducees know your wealth can't save you. He lets the scribes and Pharisees know your religious keeping of the law can't save you. He lets the elders know, I don't care how well you're respected in the community. That will not save you. And he says, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. There's much more that we covered. If you missed it, please go back and listen. So the council asked them, by what power, by what name? Peter answers, with Jesus. His power, His name And with that in mind, let's pick this account back up by reading verses 13 through 22. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled. And they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. And beholding the man which was healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. But when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves saying, What shall we do with these men, for that indeed a notable miracle hath been done by them is manifest to all them that dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But that it spread no further among the people, let us straightly threaten them that they speak, speak henceforth to no man in this name. And they called them and commanded them not to speak at all or, nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding nothing how they might punish them because of the people. For all men glorified God for that which was done. For the man was above 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing was showed. So verse 13 here is such a great verse. This morning I mentioned how we ought to observe others and learn from them. Well, tonight I'll tell you, others ought to be able to look at us and learn from us. it, It says that they saw some things about them. And others ought to be able to look at our lives and see Jesus. Are you okay with other people judging your life? Observing your life? Can they set their clocks by every Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night when you're gathering up the things and going to church? Oh, well, it must be church time. There they go. Amen. Amen. Are you good with that? Are you okay with people watching? We should welcome others observing our conduct, our speech, our way of life. Amen. And if you aren't good with that, what is it that you're doing that you know will bring, bring reproach upon the name of Christ? Paul will later write, you follow me as I follow Christ. Yeah. And he was, he was fine with others observing him. In fact, he was so confident that he said, if you follow me, you'll be on the right track. My version, amen. What can others conclude by observing your life? Can they see that you don't go to sinful establishments? Can they see that you don't use foul language? Oliver B. Green used to say, any old cuss can cuss. Do you witness to them both in word and deed? Well, this is a court of lost religious elites. They see and they perceive some things about these two men. First, they saw the boldness of Peter and John, which means they saw their confidence. They saw the openness in which they preached to them. This means they were blunt, not ugly, not crass. They they were blunt, they were frank, they were to the point, and they spoke with confidence. They had boldness because they were filled with the Holy Ghost. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. The council also perceived that they were unlearned men. This Greek word for unlearned, it's only used here. It literally means unlettered. (laughs) Not like a letterman's jacket, but like a college degree. (laughs) Unlettered. In our day, we would say, Peter and John, you don't have degrees. You haven't received a letter from our institution blessing you to go preach. During the colonial days in America, preachers were being arrested if they didn't have a license from the established church of the colony allowing them to preach. And those pesky Baptists down in Virginia were out there preaching. They were actually charged for preaching the gospel of the Son of God. And God sent a man named Patrick Henry in to stand in their defense Even after we gained our independence, that mindset didn't really go away. In many ways, it's still here. But they had this idea that if you weren't licensed, you just weren't fit to preach. If you've seen the movie Sheffy, that B-budget, fair acting, Bob Jones University classic. If you haven't seen it, you ought to see it. Uh, you can see it for free on YouTube now. Wait long enough, everything's for free. Uh, it was made in 77, okay. Uh, wait 45 years and you can have it. Right. If you've seen Sheffield do you remember the scene when he applies for a license to preach in Virginia, District 5? It's a true story, by the way. It's, it's yeah. The man who's overseeing the application process, he's a, he's a smug-looking guy. Remember that? He's got the glasses on a little bit down. And he, be, he, he begins by saying, I'm afraid, Mr. Sheffy, that the presiding elder does not find your request for license to preach to be in order. You simply cannot expect the examining committee to place its stamp of approval on a person of your irregular background. Sheffy asks, irregular? And the man says, very little college, very little college training, no seminary or theological training. Sheffy says, but many of the circuit riders are hardly educated at all. Mr. Sheffy, (laughs) we've done some checking into your background. We found that you are a man of some ambition, sincere perhaps, but that you're a bit peculiar in your actions. Sheffy pipes up, peculiar? Look, I I don't know what you've heard. The man, he, he snaps back at him. He says, I'll speak quite frankly. We've heard, for example, your praying is abnormal. You've been observed praying for hours by the side of the road. Your prayers in your classroom are unnatural too. One boy reported that you sound as if you're talking right to God. Sheffy and that great acting skills that he has. That may be so. But tell me, to whom do you talk when you pray? Be that as it may, Mr. Sheffley, we don't want our licensed preachers acting in peculiar ways. But the Bible says anyone who preaches the Word of God will be considered peculiar by the rest of the world. I doubt if you're wandering all through the mountains can be considered preaching, at least not from what I've heard. I do the best I can with the talents God has given me. No doubt, Mr. Sheffy. Why don't you could reconsider your calling? Perhaps you could do some good among the simpler classes. I will. I certainly will. Thank you very much for your advice. And you may be assured that I will pursue whatever God calls me to do with or without your official sanction. Yeah. It's a great scene. And I think that was the, was that the early 1800s? I remember, I mean, that was still going on. E- even today, there's a lot of emphasis placed upon seminary qualifications. The Bible says that the church is the pillar and ground of truth. Amen. Did you know you can receive a wonderful Bible education if you remain faithful to a Christ-centered Bible-preaching church? Amen. And then study on your own. Acts 17.11, it says of the Bereans, these were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind. And what did they do? Search the scriptures daily to see whether those things be so. 2 Timothy 2.15, study, study. Did you know that the King James Bible is the only one that tells you to study it? All the modern versions has taken it out. Only only the old King James will tell you, study to show yourself approved unto God. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Now, to be clear, I'm not suggesting there isn't a place for higher learning. It appears in the Old Testament there was a school for the prophets. This past conference I went to, it was heavy with graduates from a certain institution. And when they want to size you up, they ask you, where did you go to school? Well, I have found the perfect answer for them. And I always tell them, I'm local church trained. Because yep. I know they're pro-local church. <laughs> yeah. So you haven't been to college, but you say you were, you were trained under your pastor. Amen. I guess that's okay. <laughs> now, if they really press me, I let them know. I attended the Holy Ghost University. Yeah. Tuition's been paid in full by the blood of Christ. Whoop! And then I take a lap around them, amen? Amen. Again, I am not against seminary. In fact, if any of my sons ever sense a call to the ministry, I plan to do my best to send them to college, Bible college. And there are some good seminaries out there. As much as I pick on Brother Brock, there are some good seminaries out there. I pick on them because I'm jealous. I mean, that's, that's my defense mechanism. <laughs> um, but hear this for what it's worth, I, I will not send anybody or recommend anybody to a seminary that is not under the authority of a local church. Amen. I'll dismiss any college that stands alone. Seminaries are supposed to be these great places of learning, but I can walk into many of them, ask some very simple questions, and find out real quick whether or not they actually study their Bible. Yeah, Amen. Who's the father of the Jews? Oh, it's Abraham. It's not what your Bible says. No, the Bible says he's a, he's a Hebrew. Well, who's the father of the Jews? Judah. Jew, Ju-da. duh doesn't even show up till 2 Kings 16.6. Well, anyway. Study your Bible, you'll see. There's a lot more I could ask. I won't bore you with my awesomeness. And listen, I, I, I'm not suggesting a seminary is terrible if they don't answer my questions to my liking. I, I'm not suggesting that. But anyway, there are, there are a lot of things that we are told and we just repeat them and parrot them and say them over and over. And we never really studied them for ourselves. And so I'm just simply making the point that while seminaries do have their place, they are not the pillar and ground of, church, or of truth, the church is. A.W. Tozer said, don't go around worried because you can't make his doctrines fit into what you learned in school. All you learned in school was one fallen head instructing another fallen head, and you don't have to apologize for him." And here's the sad reality. Every single seminary to date has fallen. Given enough time, it's very heartbreaking. Actually, typically by the third or fourth generation, that seminary's done. There are eight Ivy League schools in our nation. Seven of them began as seminaries, and now they are nothing more than dens of iniquity. Do you know Harvard? Actually, their lead chaplain is an atheist. Let that sink in. Yeah. Even my wife's like, what? I was going to drag it out longer, but I didn't want to make everybody get really uncomfortable. Listen, I can give you a long list of colleges in our country. They started out as uh, seminaries, but they have since forsook their founding. And most famous among the independent Baptist movement is the once great Tennessee Temple. Our founding pastor graduated from there. I know Larry Brock graduated from there. I would say more men in that century were educated that were serving out of that particular college. Founded under Dr. Lee Robertson in the Highland Park Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, in 1946. It dissolved in only 69 years. 2015, it was done, only eight years after Lee Robertson died. It doesn't even exist. Every, every year, a pastor likes to ask me, will you, will you ask your church to donate to this particular college fund? And I finally told him last year, I said, No. I'm not gonna recommend any college. Amen. I'm not gonna hitch our wagon to any college because all of them have gone astray. Amen. That's why I never really endorse one. Now you want to come to me personally, I'll give you some that I like. Not that you need my approval, but in fact, I, I gave to that college personally because I like what I see coming out there. I just don't want to do it from a corporate level level here at the church. Yeah. Jesus never promised the gates of hell will not prevail against the seminaries. But he said, the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. Amen. And just to be safe, because I don't want to get hate mail, I'm not against seminary. Amen. I can see somebody's wheels turning, you know. But I'm Dr. So, and I don't care. Who, okay, anyway. Um, <laughs> this council of religious elites perceived that Peter and John were unlearned men. They had not been trained in their schools. They didn't have a letter from them with their seal of approval. They they even said this about Jesus. John 7, 15 and 16, And the Jews marveled, saying, How knoweth this man letters, having never learned? Jesus answered them and said, My doctrine is not mine, but His that sent me. Mark 6, 2 and 3 and when the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing him were astonished, saying, From whence hath this man these things, and what wisdom is this with, uh, which is given unto him, that even such mighty works are wrought by his hands? Is not this the carpenter's son, the son of Mary, the brother of James, and Joseph, and Judah, and Simon, uh, and, and their sisters here with us? Listen to this. They were offended at him. You know what that means? They were tripped up at this. They could not get past this. How does this man have this wisdom? and yet he's never been educated if only they had known Jesus was the Word of God. Amen. That was the town where Jesus, it says uh, uh, that's where it says in the Bible of that town, Jesus could do their uh, no great works or something like that, because of their unbelief. Well, we see that they perceive that these were ignorant men. Now, this isn't the typical Greek word for ignorant. Usually when we we read of ignorant in our Bible, it does mean a person doesn't know something, but that's not what this means. Here, ignorant means to live a private life. It is used here to contrast those who are in public life, those who hold public office like the council did. But here's these ignorant men. They're not out there... Publicly. This Greek word is used five times. It's translated once as ignorant here. Three times as unlearned in 1 Corinthians 14. But the best, I think, that gives us the sense of what's being said here is from 2 Corinthians eleven six, 6, where it says this, Paul speaking, But though I be rude in speech... That word rude is the same here for ignorant. Though I be rude in speech, yet not in knowledge... And so Paul makes it clear there that that this word that's being used uh, here in our text, it does not mean a lack of knowledge. He said he was rude in speech, but not in knowledge. If there's one man that's highly educated in your New Testament, it's the Apostle Paul. He did have the degrees. He's probably the one that wrote the book of Hebrews because of the knowledge that he had. But but he says, I was rude in speech. While he had all the education... He did not consider himself to be an eloquent speaker. 2 Corinthians 10.10, he's referring to himself about what people are saying to him. For his letters say they are weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech contemptible. And so the idea here is the council perceives these men to be untrained and unrefined. These are your enlisted men. Listen, man, I'm telling you, this stuff exists today. I was in a I was, in the, the, I was in the, man, I've been retired now long enough. I don't even care to know what the terms are. What's it called? Anyway, I was in, I was in the place where we all meet. <laughs> Wasn't the commander's call. But anyway, we were briefing missions and all this, and we had to brief the wing commander. And and because of weather, I was in all these briefings all the time. And this guy gets up, and this is why I've tried to... I, I didn't. I wish now I wouldn't have, but I really worked hard to get rid of some of my southern because this guy gets up and he's, he's briefing the commander. No kidding. The commander looks at this lieutenant who's from the hills of Kentucky somewhere, and he says, I don't ever want that man to talk to me again. You teach him how to talk, and then he can stand before me. I was there. I took note. I'm like, wait a minute. I say earned and "soul" and... And that's how they're looking at these men going, Do you all hear what I hear? These men are unlearned, they're untrained, they're unrefined. The council doesn't see Peter and John as being as talented as they were because their speech is rude, if you will. They had never been trained in public speaking. They had never grown accustomed to public speaking. They were Galilean fishermen. You may recall from chapter 2, that as that event begins to unfold, the people are amazed and they say one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? When Peter was denying Christ, those around him said, Surely thou art one of them, for thou art a Galilean, for thy speech agreeeth thereto. It's amazing what we look at and think of a person not being qualified. True story, early on when I was a pastor, we had a a family visit right back here from Belfouche. And they said, "I'm not going to that church." The song leader and the preachers from the south. That's a fact. Hey, whatever happened? Are they full of the Holy Ghost? I don't care if he's wicked smart. If he can preach, <laughs> let him preach. <laughs> All right, my wife's now in shame. I don't know what's going on. We went up to Portland. Remember that, Shug? Stopped in a hotel. I'm asking for direction. This guy was talking so fast, I literally looked at him and went, could you please slow down? (laughs) We were trying to go to Bar Harbor. They were saying, Bahaba. And I was like, what? Because they're unlearned and ignorant fishermen from Galilee, the council's looking at this. They're surprised at their boldness and they're marveling. They were shocked that these men did not have a letter. That They were not educated in in their schools they were not refined in their speaking but yet they had deep conviction and they looked at that and they marveled but i want you to know this is how god operates first corinthians 1 25 through 29 because the foolishness of god is wiser than men And the weakness of God is stronger than men. For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, and not many mighty, and not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty, and the base things of the world, and the things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring not to things that are. Why? That no flesh should glory in His presence." I don't this is a stumbling block for some people. I had a guy here once, he left. He said, How do you get your sermons? I talked to God. You don't have a special book, yeah, it's the Bible. Yeah. Yeah. He left. Completely baffled. Confound the wisdom of the wise. Amen. So the council, they view Peter and John as having no special qualification in man's eyes. They had no professional public status, but get this. Those who are filled with the Holy Ghost have something no amount of higher learning, no amount of degrees, no amount of professional status that can give a person. And this brings us to the best thing that the council recognized about these men, Peter and John. It says, they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. This miracle so closely resembled Jesus' ministry and their words so closely resembled Jesus' words. They understand that these men have been with Jesus. could just be they recognize them, but I think there's more to that here happening. These men had been with Jesus. The council thought, hey, we got rid of that man. Now there's two more of them. Whoop!" Little do they know there's about 8,000 of them. Not even death could deter these early believers from being like Christ. The family Bible note states, quote, In them, speaking of Peter and John, in them the crucified Jesus stands before the council, fearless as their master, end quote. They were Christians, get this, they were Christians in the truest sense of the word. It means they were Christ-like. They were so much like Christ that the council knew they had been with Jesus. What a testimony, amen? They taught His doctrines. They lived His doctrines. Hey, listen to me now. When does a person become a Christian? Oh, when they get born again. No. I could ask you tonight, how many of you are Christians in here? Most of you are going to raise your hands, and most of you are living in sin. That's not Christ-like. So when do you become a Christian? It's when you start aligning your life with Jesus's. It's when you adopt His teachings and you try to live out those teachings. I'm not saying you're going to be perfect. But you understand what I'm saying if you're hiding something tonight. Jesus could say to Philip, He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. Jesus also said, He that seeth me seeth him that sent me. Wouldn't that be a good testimony for our church? Peter and John preached like they really knew Jesus. (laughs) They preached like He really was the Messiah. When they heard Peter preach, it was like hearing Jesus preach. Because they had no formal training, the only thing the council could attribute to their boldness and conviction was that they had been with Jesus. Whether the council believed the message or not, they believed that Peter and John believed what they were preaching. Albert Barnes wrote, Such conviction is of far more value in preaching than all the mere teachings of the schools. And without such a conviction, all preaching will be frigid, hypocritical, and useless. End quote. Had they not had the Holy Ghost, I bet they would have been schooled by the council. Had they not had the Lord Himself, this group of men could have devoured them. But instead, they speak with so much power and so much authority that the council is perplexed. They're they're marveling. One who has spent time with Jesus and has been taught by Him will possess better ability than the mouth of the learned because it is Christ who is working through them. Well, I'm glad two of you agree. Our words may not be those of a refined orator, but when God's power is upon it, it will stop the mouth of the gainsayers. Amen. Now, this verse is important for all believers to get a hold of. I, I believe that, but I told you this morning, I wanted you preachers here. Every preacher needs to get a hold of this verse. Amen. They were not schooled, but they were called. <laughs> Jesus said, "Follow me." They did. They were taught by him. They spent time with Jesus. And listen to me. This is what it takes to be an effective preacher of the gospel, whether you're in the pulpit or not. I hope all of you are out there preaching the gospel to people. Amen. This is why I think this verse is so important. When, when I first arrived here in Rapid City at the prompting of Zach when our when God had our paths crossed down in Mississippi, we came to this church and we never went anywhere else. We settled right in. And what made this church different to me, hear me well, was that when I saw Pastor Williams in the pulpit, I knew that that man had been with the Lord. I cannot explain it. But I knew he had been with God. I said, that's where we need to be. I took knowledge of how Pastor Williams had been with the Lord. You know, there's just something different about somebody who spends time with Christ. Carl Spurgeon said, Nearness to God brings likeness to God. The more you see God, the more of God will be seen in you. You see, God wants to conform every one of us into His image. He wants others to see Christ in us. These men took knowledge that they had been with Jesus. 2 Corinthians 3.18 But we all with an open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Do you want to bear the image of Christ? Then you have to walk in the Spirit. You have to be in God's Word. You have to be in prayer. You have to spend time with Jesus. When's the last time you spent quality time with the Lord? When's the last time you got up early just to be... In the Word of God, talking with the Lord. Jesus was so busy, he had to get up early and depart into the mountains to pray alone. When's the last time you spent quality time with him? He wants that fellowship. He died for that fellowship. He wants to hear from you, he wants to walk with you, he wants to talk with you. A church in action has a testimony that we've been with Jesus. Would you pray with me, please?